In the name of God, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you. My name is Mary Ann Buddy, and if I've not had a chance to greet you personally today or at another time, I'm delighted to be in worship with St. Luke's Bethesda. I, I serve as the bishop of the Diocese of Washington, which, um, which means, among other things, that every Sunday I am worshiping in a different congregation, one of 88 congregations that is part of the diocese of which St. Luke's is a part. The great thing about that is that I'm in a different church every Sunday. The sad thing about that is that it's been three years since the last time I was with you on Sunday morning. And I, having been a parish uh, priest for many years, know how much evolves and changes in the life of a congregation in three years. And so if you have come to this community in the last three years, I'm so glad that you're here. If you have been a longtime member and supporter of ministry in this place, delighted to reconnect with you and, and to ponder just for a moment all that has been your life um, as a community of faith, uh, both in the recent past and going back to your beginning. Um, like you, I am a tremendous admirer of your rector, Stephanie Nagley. She and I also go back a ways in our life together, but I must say that there are few priests that are held, and I hope you know this, that there are few priests that are held in as high regard among her colleagues and peers as Stephanie. And she contributes in countless quiet ways to the life and well-being of so many, and I simply want to acknowledge you, Stephanie, among your community to let you know how, how much I personally uh, look to you and, and give thanks to God for you and all that your ministry means to us. So would you join me? In I'm also a big fan of your good associate rector, Jessica Hitchcock, and the beacon of light that she is. And throughout this congregation are many, many people that I come in contact with in our collective endeavors to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, in our work to um, prevent um, unnecessary gun violence, in our work to, to ensure that our worship services are full of joy and beauty, in our work to raise children in a way that they can come to know what it means to follow Jesus. So in all of those ways and more, I'm just happy to be in ministry with and among you. Last night I, I stayed up to watch the Democratic uh, candidates for president debate one another. I wasn't planning on it, but um, I had heard throughout the day that uh, because of the events of the last few days that they had entirely shifted their topic for discussion. And what was originally planned to be a debate on issues of the national economy, we're shifting over to discuss international terrorism. And I think it's safe to say, I don't know if you watched the debate, I think it's safe to say that they weren't all on their game last night, um, and probably because of that last minute shift. And, and all of them felt compelled to say what I think they thought Americans wanted to hear that if they were president, they would make the destruction of evil as represented in those responsible for the horrific killings in Paris, their highest priority. 
I have to say I feel a bit off my game as well this morning because I had fully intended to preach a sermon that was going in a different direction. But the news of the week, not only from Paris, but also in Beirut, um, shifted energies within me as well. And I woke up this morning in a very different place than when I went to bed last night and is reflected on what I'm going to say to you. Not that there was a shortage of pain before on the global, national, and local scene. There's plenty of pain to go around. And our own lives have their own portion of suffering, some of which is ongoing, kind of the background that we live in and with because of our human condition and other more acute episodes that get our attention. And I feel like a terrorist attack is what does that to us. It's that there's this ongoing malaise and discomfort and, and worry about the world and then something happens that just um, catches us and, and, and focuses our attention in an acute way. So I, I think about Paris as an acute incident in a life, a global life of chronic pain. So I am thinking about pain and the meaning of pain and how we understand pain and, and how we interpret pain, which is hugely important in terms of how we respond going forward because how we interpret the pain that we experience will inform our response and inform the next thing that happens and the thing after that. So as I was falling asleep last night, I said, okay, who are my teachers about pain? And I came up with four. Um, and I'm going to preach to you from the wisdom I have learned from them in that order. My mother, the Benedictine nun Joan Chittister, the Buddhist a wise sage Pema Chodron, and Jesus himself, okay? So this is going to be a kind of walk around experiences of pain and interpretations of pain from different points of wisdom and insight. My mom's a physical therapist, and so it's her job to help bodies heal and to heal from painful incidents, both chronic and um, acute. And she will often try to describe to her patients and to me when I stop long enough to listen that there are different kinds of pain signals that we must respond to. Um, there's the kind of pain signal that just tells you to stop whatever it is you're doing and go no further. Because if you do, you will do great damage to a part of your body that has been wounded. Um, if you've ever experienced a broken bone, for example, I remember the last time I broke my wrist, one of many times I've broken my wrist, and um, I've learned now that there is a certain kind of pain associated with a broken bone that tells you that your bone is broken. And you really cannot use that part of your body in the way that you want to, even in the very next moment. It's a signal to stop and get help. Other times, however, and this is particularly true in the healing process, pain is the exact, it gives the exact opposite message. Pain tells you to keep going, keep moving through the very pain signal that you're experiencing. We need to work through a certain amount of pain if we're going to reach healing on the other side. That's true if you recover from a surgery. It's true if you're recovering from an illness. It's true when you're trying to improve your overall health in general, which means taking on regimens that are not comfortable at first. 
But part of the learning is you work through that place of discomfort to a place of better health. And so you keep moving through that pain. We can, uh, we can make associations of that kind of pain in all other dimensions of life. Um, I'm thinking particularly now of something that Brene Brown says about the creative process. And she talked, she was interviewing one of the, the Ed, Edward Cahill from Pixar, who was describing the creative process in art. And they were both commiserating with that middle zone in the creative process, which is just miserable. You start with inspiration, an idea that gets you going, and then you land in this dark black hole. Some call it writer's block. If you're a writer, if you're an artist, you don't know where you're going. If you, any creative endeavor, you're just stuck there. And you want nothing more than to get out of that place. But the creative endeavor says, keep going. Because if you quit, you're going to miss the amazing insights that lie on the other side. Similarly, in academics, um, my husband, Paul Buddy, is sitting in the middle, middle of the congregation right there. Paul, would you raise your hand? Um, Paul is a mathematician by, by background. And when our children were learning math in school, and basically anything else in life, I must confess, my impulse was to rush in and help them with everything that they were doing. And Paul's impulse was to let them struggle with it a bit. Because he knew that you have to struggle with certain things to reach the aha moment that is a breakthrough, both in math and science and many parts of life. I don't think I was always wrong, by the way. But hats off to the creative endeavor. So that's the kind of learning from physical pain, my mom, physical therapy. Oh, I forgot to mention the other one, which is just the, the bummer of getting older. Um, she did, every once in a while, I would complain about something, and she'd say, yeah, well, it's all downhill after 25. Um, she changed her tune on that, though, when she took up ballroom dancing in her 70s and said that your body has an amazing capacity to keep going if you just treat it right. But so. So I think I've given you everything my mother has told me about pain in one sermon. Okay, so let's move existentially now and theologically to the meaning of suffering. The great theological question, um, if you, like we as Christians, feel moved to believe in a loving God, right? We, we, we have just sung a beautiful psalm about the love of God and the joy that comes from being in relationship with this God of love. And, um, and then the question almost immediately rises up from that. How can this loving God allow there to be so much pain? I was at a workshop once with the wise and wonderful Benedictine nun, Joan Chittister, and um, whose work on life and meaning and suffering are unparalleled in the Christian tradition. And, um, and she was giving her, her beautiful presentation, um, encouraging us to approach our God, not as one who does things for us or to us, but instead as the one who walks alongside us in life, as 
an encouraging and beckoning presence. She was pretty blunt about this. She said, God is not a vending machine. God is not a gotcha God waiting for you to fall short in order to zap in with a punishment. But God is always there with you, with us at our side. And so one woman raised her hand and asked the question, how can we believe in this when there is so much suffering in the world, so much suffering in life? And, and Joan looked at her, and I wish I could channel her for you. She just looked at her and said, my dear, suffering is life. It's simply life, the cost of life. It's not God's fault. It's not your fault. It's life. And life, while it is the greatest of gifts, is hard sometimes. It can break our hearts, and it often does. But my dear, God is with you. God is for you. God is your best friend. Never forget that. existential mystery of suffering that we can fight against, that we can work to prevent, we can work to overcome, but a big part of being human brings us to a place of acceptance. On the other side of the spiritual spectrum, I think Buddhists know this the best. It's their great contribution to the spiritual enterprise of humanity, and, and, the, and the Buddhist writer Bema Chodron puts it this way. And by the way, her books, if you just walk into a bookstore or Google them online, they're worth, they're worth having just because of the titles. You know, the titles themselves are enough to just draw you in, like when life falls apart, right? Or the places that scare you, right? I mean, those are the titles of her books. Um, or my favorite, which is Begin Where You Are. Um, but she writes, I think in that one, there's a common misunderstanding among all human beings that the best way to live is to avoid pain and just be comfortable. But there's a much more interesting, interesting and adventurous approach to life, which, is, which involves developing our curiosity, not caring whether the object of our inquisitiveness is bitter or sweet. And to lead a life that goes beyond the pettiness of human existence, always wanting things to turn out just the way we want them to, we must realize that we can endure a lot of pain for the sake of finding out who we are and what this world is, how we tick and how our world ticks, how the whole thing just is. If we're committed to comfort at any cost, as soon as we come up against the least edge of pain, we're going to run. And we'll never know what's beyond that particular barrier. And this is an aside. She goes on to say that whenever people like us begin a spiritual discipline or a health discipline, we assume it's going to make us a better person. It's like saying, if I jog every morning, I'll be a better person. If I could get a nicer house, I'd be a better person. If I could just meditate 10 minutes a day, I would be a better person. And sometimes we blame other people. If I just had a different, a different spouse, I'd have a perfect marriage. 
if it weren't for my boss, my job would be great, and so on. If it weren't for my mind or my personality type or whatever is wrong with me, life would be fine. But she says, loving kindness, which is the heart of meditation, doesn't mean, and here's the, it doesn't mean getting rid of anything. It's not about trying to throw yourself away and become somebody better. It's about befriending who you are and what the world is. Another deeper understanding of that acceptance of the messiness and perfection and pain of life. My mom, Joan Chittister, Pema Children, and now Jesus, who knew a lot about all kinds of suffering and redemptive suffering. The text that Stephanie read this morning comes from a part of his ministry when he, he becomes sober, even grim about prospects for the immediate future. And so, you know, this portion of the gospel isn't where you would naturally go for uplift and consolation because he's speaking a foreboding word about, as you heard, buildings falling and wars, and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines, uh, just a biblical tour of all the terrible things that can and do happen and are happening in our world. And just when you think you ought to just shut the book, he says the strangest thing. This is the beginning of the birth pangs. Birth pangs. Now that's a different kind of pain entirely. Am I right, women who know? The first birth pangs, as any of us who have given birth can tell you, are meant simply to get your attention. You don't do anything with those pangs. The baby isn't coming for a long time. Now is not the time to push. When the pangs come first, the only thing you can do is pay attention, practice your breathing, and wait for the next one to come. And as it turns out, this paying attention piece requires just about everything you've got. And there's no running away. You're not going to get away from them. Breathing something we don't think about very often becomes essential, and so does like location. Location matters a lot when the first birth pangs come, and who you're with matters. You don't need a lot of the stuff that we normally clutter our lives with when those pangs come, but you need a few essentials, you need a hand to hold, and you need a backup plan. So, thinking about that as any time we imagine we are in pain, and to just put on the lens of a birth pang opens you to a vista of possibility that God might have in mind for you on the other side. A life, a new life that you cannot even imagine. And so if the sky's coming down and you have no choice but to face how scary it is or how angry or sad, there's this part of Jesus that asks, are you open to the possibility of a new life on the other side? Because if you're open to that and paying attention to the pain, 
with as much kindness and curiosity as you can muster, you are far more likely to receive what it can teach you and embrace whatever it is that's waiting for you on the other side. And one more thing, and just in closing. It never hurts to take stock, to consider what it is you can learn from the pain you're experiencing. And that, from the smallest personal pain up to the global arena, what it is that pain is asking us to learn, which is a great way of keeping the focus on actually something that leads somewhere as opposed to spinning around on a hamster wheel, wallowing in self-pity or projecting all of the fault on someone else. And again, Chittister puts it this way, all the things you value in your life, courage, character, faith, self-confidence, they are all forged in the fire of affliction. We wish it were otherwise, but if you want to grow, stay right where you are and learn what this moment no matter what it is, learn what it has to teach you. Learn with patience and learn with wisdom. Learn with love. And as we learn these things, we can face just about anything, really. Just about anything. And people who have been through the fires can tell us that. And better yet, when we're in community, we can learn together to stake our lives and our hope on the one who calls us to the life on the other side of those birth pangs. Amen.